It's really good to see you this morning, and we're going to be sharing together. And we're in this incredibly unusual subject, dealing with emotions and emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, And at the end, um, the three young people instead of the 53 young people (laughs) are... Thank you for being here this morning. They're going to help by giving you something to take home. I have to say that when I was given this subject, I thought, what on earth is this about? And uh, I can now say I wish I hadn't been given it because it's one of the most soul-searching series I've ever seen in my life. And at the end, you're going to get a 10-point thing. And when that 10-point thing comes... Um, I will tell you now, three of them were like bullets. They shot me to pieces. Now, which three do you think got me? Well, you'll find out at the end. But I suspect that when you read it and pray about it, something will come to you and you'll say, it is time to sort myself out. We need to become strong Christians Deep Christians, powerful Christians, serving Christians, and shaped by Christ Christians. I think an unfortunate thing is that we are very often shaped by the world in which we live. And we're going to be talking about Saul. And Saul started the journey well and then made a mess of it. He was shaped by the world in which he lived. We're going to be contrasting that with Samuel. And Samuel was shaped by the God who he served from childhood right the way through the whole of his life until he died. There is a shaping that you can surrender to. The shaping of the world that says, I will be conformed to this world. Or there is the shaping that comes through God where there is a transformation. And I am transformed, not conformed, but transformed. Because you see, you can't do it by yourself. Being a Christian is not me becoming a Christian. It is me understanding I can't do it by myself and so I allow Jesus Christ I invite Jesus Christ into my life then the transformation begins but with a lot of us we kind of start the transformation and then we stop it we say we'll go that far but no further we'll do this but not that we pick and mix we choose the bits that we want to choose but we don't get what God wants to give us. So this morning, you're going to be challenged in a way to choose between conforming, as Saul did, or being transformed, which is the beautiful thing that happened in the life of Samuel as a boy. And he walked with God. So it's a a bit of a reading, but we're going to take it together. And it's 1 Samuel... And it's chapter 15. So if you 
Have your Bibles, that's great. I think it might come up on the screen. Um, obviously, it's, it's a bit challenging back there, but thank you for your help. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to, Saul, uh, to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all night. That really is powerful. Verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord now, I don't know what other versions put in here, but in the NIV it says, to serve the Lord your God. That's one of the most pointed declarations of heart relationship I've ever seen in the Bible, and I didn't see it till I was reading this. I've seen it a thousand times, but missed it a thousand times. But it made me just ask a question. How many people go to church to serve a God, but it's your God. It's not my God, not my relationship. Oh man, it really got me. And then verse 16, stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. There's relationship. Tell me, Saul replied, Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, but brought back Agag, thy king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder and the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, to listen, is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he, God, 
has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your, your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him confidently, thinking surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Saul mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. Just because God knows everything doesn't mean that God likes everything. Just because God knows everything doesn't mean he agrees with everything. And just because God knows everything, it doesn't mean that when we get it wrong, we don't break his heart. He may know we're going to get it wrong, but we still break his heart. So this morning, for a very short time, there are so many lessons to be learned in this particular series. But all of these lessons are basically aiming at one thing, the truth, the truth. And if you turn to John chapter 8 and verses 31 and 32, Jesus is speaking to the Jews that love him and follow him. And he contrasts what they have in religion with truth. And he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's John 8, 31, 32. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The goal is to stop pampering to the 10% which people see. You heard this from Ronald very, very well last week about the iceberg and the 10% on top and the 90% below. And very often we are concentrating on the 10% that people see and forgetting that God is looking at the 90% as well. 
God sees the real you, the real me. God sees who we are, but also sees what we could be. God sees what we do, but also sees what we could do. God sees what we have become, but also sees what we could become. And that's what this series is about. It's not just the 10% where God has been allowed to come in and we kind of live a Christian persona. God says, I want more. I want to get right inside you and transform you, not just that part, but right down to your toenails. I want to transform you utterly, totally, completely, so that you are mine. Mine in what people see, but mine in what people don't see. Mine when you go to church, but mine when you're not in church. Mine in that small area, but I want the other 90% as well. Fully, completely, totally transformed. Well, it's like putting makeup on the face and pretending it's everything. And this morning, I was very tempted. No, I wasn't. But sometimes, you know, we, we, do, we do do that, don't we? We put on a face. It's Sunday morning, I put on my Christian face. Yeah? It's Monday morning, I put on my go-to-work face. We put on a face. And I think sometimes we kind of live up to the face that we've put on. But God's not actually interested in the color of your lipstick. Men included. We're in that sort of society now, aren't we? <laughs> God's not interested in that outward. He's interested in the real. The real. And that's what we're going to try and get towards in just a minute or two. So God is not interested in how good or pretty uh, we can make our faces. He is interested in what he can make of the whole of any surrendered life. Back to the truth, you shall know the truth. So if you this morning, at the end when you get this sheet that's going to be given out, read it at home and read it honestly and be absolutely brutally honest with yourself, I think you'll say, wow, there's room for improvement. There's room for improvement. No matter who you are, no matter how hard you try, there is room for God to do something amazing in you. I certainly got three of them at least, as I told you, like a bullet. So number one, it's not what you say you are, it's what you are. God said in verse 18 to Samuel, uh, to Saul, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. God has spoken. God had put it out there. God had made it absolutely clear what was required. And Saul said in verse 15, when they came back with the sheep and the cattle, he said, the soldiers did it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I, I, does anybody else identify with this? I 
always love people to be around me when I get it right. I did get it right once. I think it was 1952. I love people being around me. But do you know something? I don't think there's many of us that like to face up to things when we get it wrong. We certainly are not going to publicly say, I messed that one up, didn't I? Here, Saul had the opportunity of saying, I messed up. Put me right. But he didn't. He said, I was afraid of the people. He said, the soldiers did it. It was their fault. It was his fault. It was her fault. When you're talking with children or grandchildren, I'm sure you've heard it a hundred times, where they always blame somebody else. It was his fault. Who left those toys up? Not me, it was them. Hmm? Yeah? Who took that? Well, it wasn't me. You've still got the jam round your mouth. Well, well he, he told me to eat it. Do we, do we know what we're talking about here? It's the reality of life. But you know something? You start as a child doing this sort of stuff and you carry on throughout your life. And God says, stop blaming others. Face the facts. It's you and me in a room made for two. There's no one else. It's you and me in a room made for two. What you are face to face with me is what you are. And what I see when I look into your soul is what I see and who you are. And you can say what you like, you can do what you like, you can put on the makeup, but it isn't going to make any difference because it's you and me in a room made for two and the door's locked. The door's locked. The door. You see, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be able to say, excuse me, can I have a return ticket, please? It's just not going to happen, is it? You're going to stand before your Father in heaven and there ain't no return ticket. You've arrived at your destination. And that, this morning, is kind of a challenge. What am I doing now? Who am I becoming now in the process that will take me one day into that room made for two? Well, the soldiers did it. And it really was okay because we took those things for your God. That hurt me. It hurt me. Your God. Your God. That three times he says it. Your God. Does that hurt you as much as it hurts me? This was the king of the country. He was anointed by God, appointed by God. And yet... He who started small in his own eyes had become so arrogant, conceited. And even after being challenged, he talks about my people. They weren't his people. They weren't his people. I remember once a long time ago having a conversation with a young man. And uh, he talked about my church. And I said, you haven't got one? He says, I do. I says, you don't. I says, you don't have a church. And we had this to and fro, like a tennis match, you know. Ding, bong, ding, bong. I said, it belongs to the Lord. And you are trusted to serve the people as Jesus would serve them. 
Oh, I see what you mean. So you'll be washing their feet on Sunday, won't you? He said, what? I said, you'll be washing their feet on Sunday, won't you? He says, you're joking, aren't you? I said, I wish I wasn't. I wish I wasn't. Because in actual fact, if we could understand that it's not just Saul who should have been humble and stayed humble, and it's not just pastors who need to understand it's not my church, it's his church, and we are here to serve. But all of us, we all need to learn that. That God has entrusted you with 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. I heard today of a lady, Billy, lovely to see Billy, one of our one of the earliest men to find Jesus' Savior when the church opened here back 46 years, by golly. I said we were both walking around in short trousers then. But Billy was saying about a lady in their church, 101, she doesn't even need glasses. Isn't that fantastic? Wow. But whatever, whether God gives you 50 years or 101 years, is it surrendered to him? Is it surrendered to him? Is he allowed to take you and to live his will out through you? Well, that's where Saul got it so wrong. The truth hurts. If you look at verses 17 to 19, Samuel said, although you were once small, you have now got it so wrong. And Saul was not ready to hear that. And if you look at verse 20, he wasn't ready to repent either because he kind of makes the repentance a bit of a half-hearted effort. He says, I went on a mission assigned to me by God. I went on a mission. He's trying to justify. He's trying to vindicate. It wasn't my fault. The instructions weren't clear enough. It was not, I was doing what I was told. He come, excuses, excuses, excuses. Oh, come on, Saul. You're being caught with your fingers in the cookie jar. Just be a man and admit it. Not Saul. He didn't want to. But God says in verses 22, 23, this is what I want. I want you to obey because obedience is better than sacrifice. I want you to be obedient and not rebel for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, you have been rejected as king. I don't like what I see after that, sadly. Because all that there is, is verse 25, forgive me. He wants forgiveness so that he can carry on. He doesn't want forgiveness for change. Verse 26, 29. More truth. And that truth really hurts. But at the same time, he is not getting it right. He tears the hem of Samuel's robe and Samuel says, the kingdom's been taken from you. It's been torn from you. And he says, yeah, okay, well... Come on, let the people see it's all right. 
Let's carry on as we were. Let's pretend that everything's good. I've got to say that we're all a bit that way inclined. We don't like to face up to anything that's not good. We don't like to grow up. We don't like to man up. But we do, sadly, need to shut up. And we need to listen to the truth because the truth is what sets you free. Saul, if you're an idiot, man up. Face the fact you're an idiot and let God change you. Saul, if you're blaming everybody else for things that go wrong because you haven't got the maturity and the ability to face the fact that it's you that are making things go wrong, not only are you going to destroy the present, you're going to destroy the future. It's time to man up and get it right. Let God change you. But he wasn't willing. All he wanted was everything to stay exactly as it was. Stroke my fur the right way. Never ruffle my fur. Tell me I'm good. Never tell me I'm not. Tell me. Tell me anything. But don't tell me the things that hurt. You see, I want people to tell me that I'm six foot six. I want people to tell me that I'm slim. I want people to tell me that I am young. I want people to tell me that I'm handsome. And then when they have completed that lovely four points, I will pray that God gives them back their eyesight because they must be really blind. The bottom line is, God only deals with the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the truth that changes you. It's the truth that transforms you. It's the truth that in a miraculous and wonderful way sets you on a new road, a new road that will lead you to the purposes of God. Now, I don't know. Does anybody else want to know the truth? Because if you know the truth, it will truly set you free. Okay. He was told it didn't change him. I want to forget about Saul now and jump over to, to Samuel. Because I don't think we should forget Samuel, should we? Look at Samuel. Verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. This was a lad who... Or, or a man who, from being a young lad, had been in the presence of God. He didn't find it easy. His family wasn't easy. There were a lot of things around him that weren't perfect. But he still knew how to get into the presence of God. Isn't that good? You say, oh, but he hadn't got kids like mine. Read the Bible. He got kids. Yes, but he didn't. Yes, Read, study, learn. He was a man subject to all the emotions and feelings that you and I feel. And when the people said we want a king, he was upset. He felt rejection. He felt hurt. He felt damaged. And God says, hold on. 
They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. God put it into perspective. He accepted that and continued doing the purposes of God right through the reign of Saul, even to the anointing of David. Come on, what a man we're talking about. And verse 12, Samuel saw, saw Saul's arrogance at Carmel, but he didn't give up. He saw the monument that Saul had erected to himself to say, aren't I wonderful? I'm six foot six. Well, he wasn't actually. He was more like seven foot. Head and shoulders above everybody. I am so tall. I am so handsome. I am so spectacular. I am so amazing. Aren't I wonderful? God has said he wasn't. Samuel knew he wasn't and saw the monument. But Samuel still processed the purposes of God and went to Gilgal. He could have said, oh, I give up, I'm going home. But he didn't. He followed, hard as it was, the purposes of God until he caught up with Saul. I'm going to say this this morning because I know it's going to just touch a couple of buttons. Don't give up on the process of change. We all need to change. We all need to change. Don't give up on the process of change. That's two things. One, don't give up on the process of change for yourself. Let God change you. And don't give up on people around you who God needs to work in again in the process of change. God can change everyone. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. God can do what we cannot do. Saul, he didn't, uh, Samuel didn't give up. He continued to process the purposes of God. And then, of course, in verse 16, Samuel says, let me tell you what the Lord says. <laughs> when? At night. Because when he got the message from God, oh my, he took it on board and it says that Samuel prayed through the night. When did you last pray through the night? Do any of us pray through the night? When you get older, you end up waking up in the middle of the night. We won't talk about it. And sometimes you wake up a couple of times in the middle of the night. And then, you know, you get back to bed and you can't get back to sleep straight away. But prayer is a wonderful thing. Yeah? That's when you, very often we, older people, do our praying. And we'll pray in the night. And sometimes God puts us back to sleep, which is really great. And sometimes you don't, and you find yourself praying through all those things. I don't care when you pray, but I do know that it's a needful thing. It's a right thing. And you need to pray. And Jesus said to us, you know, pray. And Paul says, pray, pray without ceasing. And the scripture tells us to pray. Uh-huh. And it says, pray, believing you have received it, it will be given to you. There's a lot here. Samuel was a man of prayer. And Samuel shows the heart of God, verses 22, 23. And Samuel would not involve himself in Saul's sin. Saul's rebellion, Saul's plans, Saul's idea 
and Saul's sin were not something that Samuel would turn a blind eye to. Samuel said, wrong is wrong. Let's face it together. Oh, you missed that? Samuel was willing to help Saul in the repentance process. But Saul's repentance was shallow and had ulterior political motives. Do you not think that God would have shown mercy had there been a true, genuine change of heart? I think he might have done, you know. Let's just sum up with this. Samuel served God and therefore served truth and therefore left us this amazing example. He had, and if you read through this, it just shines out. He had humility. All those that are humble, please stand on your chair. He had humility. What else did he have? Loyalty. What else? Integrity. And obedience. More courage. Humility, loyalty, integrity, obedience, and courage. This was Samuel. And he was a man who spent time in the presence of God. That could be you if you are willing for God to change you and make you his man, his woman. I just want to read a couple of verses from 1 Samuel 8. 1 Samuel 8 verses 6 and 7. But when, God, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they are rejecting. They have rejected me as their king. But please note that little bit in the middle. Samuel prayed to the Lord. When you've got... A gripe. Does anybody ever have gripes? Pray. Pray. Don't get stuck into the fight. Fighting each other doesn't change very much. Well, it might give you a black eye, but it doesn't change very much. But if you go into that room, you know the room made for two. I told you about it earlier. Hope you'll remember that when you go home, if nothing else. If you go into that room, the room made for two, and talk to your dad and pray, change will come. Oh, no. No, 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 no. You got it wrong. It doesn't change the people you're praying about. It changes you. It's always you that has to change. But they're the ones that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes they are within this world, the chisel that forms you into the image God wants you to be. Have you remembered that? Did you ever know it? Yeah, but I want them to change. God, take the chisel away. God says, if I take the chisel away, I cannot form you into the person I want you to be. Yes, but I don't like it. Nobody likes the chisel or the saw or the hammer or the mallet. No, we don't like being told we're wrong. 
Yes, but they're always telling me. Yeah, they are. But look where you are now. Because they got on your nerves so much, you came in the room made for two. Ah. Because they gave you a tough time, you came in the room made for two. And look, you and I together, we can work out the change in you which will transform them. Because you see, there's only a certain amount of criticism that people can throw at you when you have changed by the power and the regenerating processes that God ordains. God wants you and me to get in where Samuel was, in the room made for two. The quality of the seed determines the quality of the harvest. Who do we serve? Why do we serve? What do we hope to get out of our service? If we love, we will find love, the love that listens. Love, the love that learns. The love that allows pressures and problems to come but only to change you, to transform you, to make you stronger and stronger. We do not love to get. Well, some do. We love because Jesus first loved us and he has taught us to love one another and that our love for him and our love for one another will cause actions that glorify God and lead others to Jesus. The deeper our love, the more we want to pray. The more we want to drink in his word. The more we want to allow the Holy Spirit to change us, challenge us, transform us until we know, we know we are in Christ. We know we are new. We know we have and are surrendered. And we know that he's changing the 90%. Well, to those 10 points that you are now going to be given, and uh, there are lists coming round. I'm going to read them out to you. And, and if some don't hit you, then you must have perfection. <laughs> Certainly, I think you'll find something will challenge you. The following are the top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Which one symptom is most relevant in your life today? Now, that was a bit sad because I didn't get one. I got three. Here's the first one. Using religion to run from God. That is, my prayers are usually about God doing my will, not me surrendering to his will. Two, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness and fear. And that is, I am rarely honest with myself or others about the feelings, hurts and pains beneath the surface of my life. Number three. 
dying to the wrong things. And that is, I tend to deny healthy God-given desires and pleasures of life, such as friendships, joy, music, beauty, laughter, and nature, while finding it difficult to die to myself, uh, protectiveness, defensiveness, a lack of vulnerability, and judgmentalism. Four, denying the past impact on the present, which is, I rarely consider how my family or origin and significant people or events from my past have shaped my present. Five, dividing life into secular and sacred or spiritual compartments. I easily compartmentalize God to Christian activities while forgetting about him when I am working, shopping, studying, or recreating. Six, doing for God instead of being with God. I tend to evaluate my spirituality based on how much I am doing for God. Seven, spiritualizing away conflict. In the name of peacemaking, we bury tensions and conflicts rather than speak the truth in love. Eight, covering brokenness, weakness, and failure. Instead of humility and approachability, I'm highly reactive and defensive. Nine, living without limits. Those close to me would say, I try to do it all, or bite off more than I can chew. Ten, judging the spiritual journeys of others. I often find myself occupied and bothered by the faults of others. You've all gone very quiet, though this morning you've all been very quiet. If you're anything like me, some of those will jump out and hit you. If you're anything like me, you'll say, perhaps there's more than three. <laughs> what I would love you to do is to just take those and do one of two things. Ignore them. Yes, you can. Or why don't you take them into the room made for two and have a chat with somebody about them? Because if you get into the room made for two, I can promise you this. One, he will never repeat what you say. Two, he will listen for as long as it takes. Three, he'll never put you down. He'll only lift you up. Four, when you come out of the room made for two, you might have less than 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, or whatever. Because in the room made for two, God can change you. The Lord bless you. Thank you, Martin.